Acts chapter 17, reading from verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people of the city, sorry, the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give to us the grace to hear and the grace to receive what you have for us in this passage. And we pray that you would do that to the end, that Jesus is praised and loved in our hearts. And we ask that in his name. Amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ has a way of turning lives and communities upside down. Let me give you an example of that that happened here in England some years ago in a small town. Quote, Did you ever walk through a village notorious for its drunkenness and profanity? Did you ever see poor wretched beings that once were men standing or rather leaning against the posts of the pub or staggering along the street? Have you ever looked into the houses of the people and beheld them as dens of iniquity at which your soul stood aghast? Have you ever seen the poverty and degradation and misery of the inhabitants inside over it? 
Yes, you see, we have. But was it ever your privilege to walk through that village again? In years after, when the gospel had been preached there, it has been mine. I once knew just such a village as I have pictured, perhaps in some respects one of the worst in England, where many an illicit stillery was yielding its liquor to a manufacturer without payment of the duty to the government, and where in connection with that evil, all manner of riot and iniquity was rife. There went into that village a lad who had no great scholarship, but who was earnest in seeking the souls of men. He began to preach there, and it pleased God to turn the whole place upside down. In a short time, the little thatched chapel was crammed. The biggest vagabonds of the village were weeping floods of tears, and those who had been the curse of the parish became its blessing. Where there had been robberies and villainies of every kind, all around the neighborhood there were none. Because the men who used to do the mischief were themselves in the house of God rejoicing to hear of Jesus crucified. I am not telling an exaggerated story, nor a thing that I do not know, for it was my delight to labor for the Lord in that village. It was a pleasant thing to walk through that place when drunkenness had almost ceased, when debauchery in the case of many was dead, when men and women went forth to labor with joyful hearts, singing the praises of the ever-living God, and when at sunset the humble cottager called his children together, read them some portion from the book of truth, and then together they bent their knees in prayer to God. I can say with joy and happiness that almost from one end of the village to the other, at the hour of eventide, one might have heard the voice of song coming from nearly every roof tree and echoing from almost every heart. I do testify to the praise of God's grace that it pleased the Lord to work wonders in our, in our midst. He showed the power of Jesus' name and made me a witness of that gospel which can win souls, draw reluctant hearts, and mold afresh the life and conduct of sinful men and women. The gospel of Jesus Christ has a way of turning lives and communities upside down. And yet when that has happened throughout church history, not everyone has liked it. You could choose almost any work of God at random over the last 2,000 years and see both blessing and backlash, disciples and enemies being made. And we continue in the book of Acts today, and really that's the way of summing up the 15 verses that Tristan just read for us. Gospel proclamation makes disciples and enemies. A very quick recap of where we've been in Acts recently. You remember Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, our author, were called to preach the gospel in Macedonia in last week's passage. Uh, it was the first region that they went to on Paul's second missionary journey, and they came to Philippi. And in Philippi, there was blessing. Lydia the entrepreneur, the slave girl and demon-possessed girl, and the Philippian jailer were converted. And then there was backlash. Paul and Silas were 
thrown into jail. And as the story continues today, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke come to Thessalonica. Thessalonica being the capital city of Macedonia. And what should we find in in Thessalonica but blessing and backlash? Disciples and enemies being made. And so, friend, if you will really hear this message today and yield your heart to what this passage has to say, then there will be two things that happen within you. Your hopes will be raised and your expectations will be managed. Hopes raised, expectations managed. Your hopes will be raised because you'll be reminded that, in fact, nothing is impossible with God. And that God can do far more abundantly than all that we could ever ask, dream, think, or imagine. And God can do far more abundantly in your family, on your street, in your workplaces, than you ever thought were possible. But then at the same time, the passage will manage your expectations because there is both blessing and and backlash, both disciples and enemies that are made. Think about this, the same person who said, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ever ask or imagine, is the same one who said, we were so unutterably unutterably burdened that we despaired of life itself. And if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, You've experienced both, haven't you? The raising of your hopes and such unutterable despair that you despaired of life itself. And so let this passage have its twin effect on you today. Hopes raised, expectations managed. We're going to follow Paul and the team in Thessalonica And so let's see first, disciples made in Thessalonica. Look at verses 1 and 4 of chapter 17. Luke, our author, writes, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer And to rise from the dead saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And so when Paul entered this synagogue, he understood that his hearers knew only half of what the Messiah would do when he came. They perhaps memorized or at least read passages like Psalm 2, where God says to the Christ, you shall break the nations with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so they were waiting for a Christ They were waiting for a Messiah who would do to Caesar what David had done to Goliath. But visualize Paul now in the synagogue, standing with with arms outstretched. 
And with knees knocking and with lips stammering and saying, brothers and sisters, I know how foolish this is going to sound to some of you. And I know how offensive this is going to sound to others of you. But the Christ who will one day break the nations with a rod of iron had to first be broken on the cross of Calvary. Because friends, if the Christ only came to conquer his enemies, then we would all find ourselves beneath his boot because we are sinners and we are by nature his enemies. And so it was therefore necessary for the Christ to suffer for our sins so that when he does return, all who have believed on him won't find themselves beneath his boot, but will find themselves beside him on his throne. He bore our sins and our sorrows and he made them his very own and he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone and he did it to save all who would trust him from the judgment that they deserve for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a wrath bearer, a judgment drinker by his blood to be received by faith. So that as Paul reasoned and explained and proved and proclaimed that Jesus was and is the Christ, the only thing interrupting the pin drop silence as he preached was the sound of burdens hitting the floor as the gospel was proclaimed. Some of the Jews, many of the Greeks, many of the leading women believed because they came to understand that it was necessary for Christ to shed his blood at the cross all those years ago. So friend, can I say to you here today, if you are here and you can't yet see that it was necessary for Christ to suffer, you are not yet in the kingdom. You are not yet in the kingdom. It is our honor honor and privilege to have you today. But we don't only want you in church, we want you in heaven. And even though many of these categories of sin and judgment and the Christ or a Messiah or all of these things are like brand new categories for you, you do have a conscience that bears witness that these things are so And that when you come to this place and you hear the praises of God being sung and you hear prayers prayed and you hear the Bible open, your conscience is telling you this is for you because not all is right with you and your maker God. But what Paul said in the synagogue, I now say in the community center, Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for for rebels. Jesus died for religious hypocrites to save us from death, 
hell, judgment, and sin. So that if you will believe on him today, then you will know him to be an all-sufficient Savior who is Christ the Lord. But to you believers who are here today, who have been reasoning and explaining and arguing and proving that Jesus is the Christ with your unbelieving friends, can I please say this? Please be patient with them. Do not scold them. Why do I say that? I say that because the mistake we can all make when we read Acts chapter 17 is to believe that Paul preached for three Sabbaths and then moved on, leaving a thriving church. What Luke gives us here is a summary of the three decisive hammer blows against the kingdom of darkness in Thessalonica. But when we read 1 Thessalonians, we come to understand that Paul was in Thessalonica long enough to need financial help from the Philippian church twice. He was there for a while. So be patient. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Don't be exasperated with that unbelieving friend. Or with that unbelieving spouse. Or with that unbelieving sibling who has heard the gospel umpteen times from your lips. Remember how patient God was with you. You know, last Sunday I opened the message, didn't I, by telling my own testimony of how I came to faith in Jesus. And it's true that I was very young by the grace of God, only 12 years old. But think about that for a moment. That is 12 whole years of hearing the gospel and not responding to it. 12 years. Very few conversions happen in a microwave where it is 30 seconds and then ding, it's done. Very, very few. No, there is planting work to be done. There is watering work to be done. And if that was true for you, why shouldn't it be true for others in your life? And friend, as you are patient, can I also say this? Continue to emphasize the cross of Jesus. Continue to explain why it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. We really are living at a time when churches all throughout our nation and churches all around the world have basically given up on the message of the cross. And instead what they're doing is resorting to meet felt needs and human needs. And we must love people where they are. We must meet the needs that they have by all means. But as one preacher put it, we care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. And since that is true, it is the cross that must be emphasized above everything else. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Gospel proclamation makes disciples and enemies We've seen number one disciples made in Thessalonica. But I want us to see enemies made in Thessalonica as well. Look at verse 5, verses 5 to 9. We read, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob 
set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Jason was obviously a convert in Thessalonica, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And so they flee to Berea. And disciples are made in Berea, as we'll see under the next heading. But then look at verse 13 with me. It says, But when the Jews, the unbelieving Jews from Thessalonica, heard that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So why were these Jews so jealous in Thessalonica? Because the news that the Christ had come made their old lives and made their historic traditions and made their old religious observances obsolete. And so that as many of the Jews and many of the Gentile God-fearers who would assemble in the synagogue and as many of the Leading women received Christ. Their heritage felt like it was passing through their fingers like sand. And they wanted the old wine in old wineskins. Not the new wine in new wineskins. And the times they were a-changing. And they were not a fan of that. And so amazingly Paul is accused of what Jesus was accused of. Before Pilate starting an insurrection, a revolution, in hopes that Caesar would bring the full force of his power down on the movement and bring it to a swift end. Gospel proclamation is a call to place everything at the feet of Jesus Christ. And for these Jews, that meant their histories That meant the feasts. That meant their observances. That meant everything that went on at the temple. Those things were just a shadow. The substance had come. So all could be cleared away for the fulfillment of all of those promises. And you know, friends, I really believe that this is what makes us so cowardly sometimes in our evangelism because we well understand That the gospel of Jesus Christ is a call to part ways with everything in our past and surrender everything before his crucified feet. For our old views about sex to go in order to receive what Jesus has to say about our sexuality and about gender. For our views on pluralism that all religions are right and that all religions lead to God for all of that to go and for us to receive what Jesus has to say. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
but through me. And for our stubbornness to go, and for our heart hearts to hard hearts to melt like ice before our Prince Emmanuel. And friends, this is where the passage manages our expectations. Because if you proclaim that message at work, then your HR department might not like it. And they might have a few things to say. It's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And why he said in John chapter 15, If the world hates you as they did here in Thessalonica, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Gospel proclamation comes at a cost. Gospel proclamation can sometimes knock blows and chunks out of those who share the gospel. Friend, don't be surprised if you are ostracized, if you are ridiculed, if you are laughed at, if you are humiliated, if you are rejected at work, in your family, on your street, or in this town. It has always been that way. And it will until Jesus returns. But can I encourage you with this? God is able to keep you. Even in the midst of the hardship. God is able to uphold you with his righteous right hand. He's able to strengthen you for every trial. He's able to sustain you through every hardship. He is able to walk on the waves of your adversity, look you dead in the eye and say, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Behold, those who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. And that changes everything, doesn't it? That makes all the difference in the world. And in January, God willing, we're going to be having our first ever week of prayer where there's going to be a a prayer meeting every night of the week. And we're going to pray, God willing, in concentric circles where we'll begin with HEC and Hoylake and then expand 
on day two to local churches on the Wirral. And then we'll pray for the national scene. And then we'll pray for our mission partners. And then we'll pray for the persecuted church. And there are three pages in the booklet to be printed about the persecuted church. And as we pray, and as we sympathize, and as we empathize with them, let us also know this, God can keep them. And he will finish what he began. And he will get them all the way to glory. Because greater is he who is in them than he who is in the world. And Paul was worried, wasn't he? For the church in Thessalonica when he was kicked out. That's why he sent Timothy to go and check on them. And we read this in 1 Thessalonians 3. Now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord. And to you unbelievers can I say this. Jesus is better than anything you might have to give up. When you commit your life to Jesus. He's better than the iPad you're on right now as you don't listen. He's better than experiences the sweet wine of his lore is better than the alcohol in the pub. And riches in heaven are so much better than riches on earth. And labor in the kingdom is better than a successful career. Compare it all, it amounts to nothing in view of Jesus. Receive him, receive more than the universe itself. Well, lastly, disciples made in Berea. Look at verse 10. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. It was a good 50 miles from Thessalonica, just by the way. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. And so do you see the contrast? Whereas the unbelievers, uh, unbelieving Jews in Thessalonica resist the word with all jealousy, these noble Jews receive the word with all eagerness as they examine the scriptures daily to see if these things we're so friends, that's how to do it. That's how to receive the gospel. They, they heard Paul out. They tested what he had to say. And friends, can I say this? If Luke, our author, commended that, then both unbelievers and we believers should sit up and take notice of how to listen to the word of God. To those of you unbelievers with us today, this is the best way to get saved. There isn't a bad way to get saved, but this is the most noble way to get saved. A couple of months ago, we had a baptism, and one of the women who was baptized said that she was brought to faith in Christ 
as the church that she belonged to at the time was singing a gospel-rich song. Praise the Lord for that. That's, that's amazing. I know of a woman who was walking along a beach and four drunken men rode past her on a quad bike or whatever you ride on the beach. And one of them shouted out in a blasphemous, insulting way, Praise Jesus! And it landed on her with infinite force that in fact Jesus is the only one worthy of worship. And she was cut to the heart and she was converted in time. Here in Acts chapter 17 though, we see the most noble way to receive the gospel, searching the scriptures for yourself, doing the spade work of biblical study for yourself. And can I just say, if you're here today and the person who dragged you along believes in an eternal heaven and in an eternal hell, is it not worth opening a book to see if these things are so? John Wesley said, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven How to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. That was Wesley. That was the Bereans. And may that be you as well. And believers, can I say this? The noble way of getting saved is the most noble way of persevering in your salvation. One preacher said, visit many books, but live in the Bible. Come every Sunday morning, take my word for nothing. Test everything I say by the scriptures and pray that this noble Berean spirit is what marks us as a church who gather every Lord's Day, morning and evening. And may God bless us as we seek to do that. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing a wonderful song about the Bible from the breaking of the dawn to the setting of the sun. I will stand on every promise of your word. Let's stand and worship together.